Okay, we're going to look at, uh, again, another one of the uh, small letters. I think last week we looked at Second uh, John. We're going to finish up our love letter series, love letters from John. And we're going to look today at Third John, which has only 14 verse, verses. And so this is, um, to be very honest with you, one of two personal letters in the New Testament. Remember I told you that when, when you read an epistle or, or a letter, you need to read it a little bit differently than you maybe read the book of Acts or even uh, the Gospels or even uh, the book of Revelation. Because the epistles are um, written for a, a specific situation or circumstance. So when, when, the gospel, when the writers are writing these letters, they're writing to address something that's happening. And so they're answering a question. Sometimes we don't know what the question is, but they're giving the answer for it. Or they're writing to address a certain situation. With the Gospels, that's not the situation. The Gospels are basically presenting the life of Jesus from that, as that writer presents it. Or the Apocalypse or the Revelation is presenting the visions that John received with regards to what's happening in the future. And the book of Acts is a historical book, so it's presenting the history of the early church up until the time that Paul goes up to Rome. So when you read the epistles, you, you have to realize that it's written for a specific situation. And so this is one of two letters, one of two of the two epistles that were written, that were personal, where he's writing someone specifically. The other one is Paul's letter to Philemon. So this is a letter that's written to a guy by the name of Gaius. Okay? So we're going to talk a little bit about that here in a moment. But it's with reference to something that's going on in the church that Gaius attends. All right? So let's look at this letter together, and then I'll kind of break it up for you, and we'll go from there. So look with me at verse 1. The elder, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers. For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you have walked in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers, who have borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you do well, because they went forth for, this na for his name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loved to have preeminence among them, does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, prating against us with malicious words, and not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has a good testimony from all and from the truth itself, and we also bear witness, and you know that our testimony is true. I had many things to write, but I do not wish to write you with a pen and ink. 
But I hope to see you shortly, and we shall speak face to face. Peace to you. Our friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. Okay, so we're going to basically, we're going to divide this up into five sections. So we're going to kind of go through this letter. Some of it will be just kind of informational for you. Some of it we're going to look at some of the truths that are talking about it. So first of all, the salutation. There's a greeting. We find that in verse 1. The writer identifies himself as the elder, which we know is John, the last apostle, the elder. So the title is uh, more, to be honest with you, most scholars feel it's more like an affection, affectionate term. Like, for instance, uh, about the closest thing that we have in our, our language would be like the old man. You know, the old man said, did, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's kind of like a, an affectionate dear term, the elder, because he's the apostle. He's the last surviving apostle who was with Jesus. And not just the any last surviving apostle, the one that his own gospel tells us, the one whom Jesus loved. So a very intimate part of Jesus' inner circle. So the writer identifies himself as the elder. Now the recipient, John was writing a Gaius. Okay, now why do I say a Gaius? Well, in Asia Minor at that time, Gaius was a pretty popular name, sort of like John. Okay, so, I mean, it's a very popular name. So, I mean, some people tried to identify this Gaius with maybe the Gaius that you find in some of Paul's letters or even in the book of Acts. But you've got to understand there's about a 30-year difference here. 20, 30-year difference. Could it be the same guy? Possibly. Could it not be? More than likely because that's a pretty prominent name, Gaius. Okay, So he's a prominent member of a church in Asia Minor. So he's obviously not just a prominent member because of maybe position, but also because maybe he has some wealth. He has some money. Why? Because we're going to see that he's able to take care of traveling teachers. And so John then goes on and communicates. He expresses that he loves Gaius in the truth. That he loves Gaius in the truth. Now the truth here again is talking about the truth that is communicated by Jesus Christ. Alright, so that's the salutation. So let's go on. We're going to talk, look, we're going to spend more time talking about his words to Gaius, uh, with regards to, uh, his testimony, but then also we're going to see some complaints that he makes against another guy. So let's talk about Gaius, first of all. John prayed that Gaius would prosper just as he spiritually prospered. Okay, so let me, let me just stop for a moment. I need to make this point, because some of us understand prosperity theology, in the sense that God wants you to be healthy and wealthy. Okay, we, and that can be such a trap that could be so devastating to your life, because if you don't have it and you struggle like most of us do, you begin to wonder, do I have enough faith? Do I have enough to be able to carry this on? So in a sense, not in a sense, prosperity theology is heretical. Now what has happened is, is we've gone to the other extreme, to now where in the church there's a poverty theology. What do you mean by poverty theology, George? Well, because we want to react against the health and wealth teachers and their false message, we have another group of teachers that's rising up that's saying, well, God just wants you to live on what you have and you can't have any more and you can't want anything and, 
and, and you just need to struggle. And it's kind of a poverty theology. Do you know, do you know what I mean? You're guilty if you have something. How many of you, you understand what I'm talking about? Sometimes you feel like you're guilty if you have something. That's not biblical either. You say, well, how can you say that, George? Well, look at what John's saying here to Gaius. Look at verse 2. I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health. So he wants them to prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. So just as he's prospering in his walk with Jesus, John is wanting him to prosper in all things. Okay, so he's wanting him to prosper materially. But he's also wanting him to prosper health-wise. So there, there's a balance. You don't want to go to the extreme where if you don't have it, there's something wrong with your faith. That's a, that's a false message. You don't want to go to the other extreme which says if you have it, there's something wrong with you because you should be living you know, like a hermit, you know what I'm saying, and giving it all up for Jesus. Okay, that's a poverty message. John's saying here, just as your soul is prospering, just as you're prospering in your walk with Jesus, he says, I pray that you would prosper in your health, and I pray that you would prosper in your livelihood as well, in all things. So do you, do you understand there's a balance there? The one message, the health and wealth message, is, is it's all dependent on your faith issue. That's a false message. The poverty message over here is, is that you need to give it all up for the sake of Jesus. That's not true either. He's saying you've got to be in the middle. Hey, he's going to pray for you to prosper. He's going to pray for your health to do well, just as you're doing well spiritually. So the Bible's not teaching either one of those extremes. It's teaching just as you prosper spiritually, we want you to do well materially and in health. Okay? All right, let's go on. He's going to talk about Gaius' reputation. Now, Gaius has a good reputation. John had heard of Gaius' walk in the truth from others. So word had gotten back to John about Gaius that this guy is the real deal. This guy is walking in the truth. And it was the testimony of others. So, I mean, that, that should cause us to reflect. What are other people saying about us? Do, do you know what I mean? What are other people saying about us? Well, I don't really care what other people say about me. You should. Because it has to do with your testimony in Jesus. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? What, what, does, what, does the, what does the clerk at Walmart say about you? Do, do you know what I'm saying? What does, what does the receptionist at the doctor's office say about you? Do you know what I'm saying? What does, what does the teller at the bank say about you? Because that all reflects on it, especially if they know you go to church, and, and eventually, you know, in a small community, you know who goes to church and who doesn't go to a church, okay? What does that reflect upon you? You know, what does the waitress say? So the reality is, is that he had heard from others how well John was doing. Do you understand what I'm saying? How well what John was doing. Let's take it one step further. What's the reputation of the church? You know what I'm saying? I mean, if the church has a bad reputation in the community, is that a good thing? How are you going to reach people if most people realize that your church is, I don't want to go there, they've they, you know, got, got problems. You, do you know what I'm saying? That, that, that's reality. So he's talking about his testimony here, and he's saying, boy, I'm hearing you've got a good reputation, Gaius. 
That people speak well of you. In fact, here's what it does in John's life. It produces a joy. Next point there. John's joy resulted from knowing that his disciples were walking in the truth. Joy comes into your life when you realize that someone that you're influencing for Jesus Christ, someone that you're nurturing in their walk with Jesus, is growing and responding well. Do you understand what I'm saying? Their, 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 their life is showing forth their relationship with Jesus. That's producing a joy in John's life here. So it, his joy resulted from knowing that his disciples were doing well. Now, specifically, he's going to talk about Gaius's reputation in a specific area, and that's what we're going to talk about here. It's, it's how Gaius treats other people. Gaius was being faithful to God by caring for traveling teachers. Now, let me just stop for a minute. I need to give you a little bit of cultural context. A little bit different situation in their culture. Let me explain what's going on in their culture. Remember now, yes, it's 50, 60 years after Jesus' time, but the church is still fairly young. Most of the teachers, like the apostles, they're very few, so they, they make circuits. They're going around in circuits. Like, okay, when, 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 remember from the Apostle Paul, he went to different areas. John is doing the same thing. He's ministering in all of what's now Turkey. Okay? And, and so they're traveling around. You appointed elders or, or leaders in that church, but what would happen is, is they would have these traveling teachers. Traveling teachers who would come around to the church, they usually would come with some sort of letter from, from maybe an apostle or from a more prominent church identifying who they were. And let's say, you're, let's say we would be considered a, a small village here in Kerwinsville, and, and, and they would come and you'd like, well, who's this guy? Well, he's got a letter, and we'll let him stand up and teach, okay? And, and that's the thing. They would be these traveling teachers who would go around and minister to all the churches concerning doctrine and solid teaching. Now what Gaius is doing here, and he's being commended for, is, is that Gaius was faithful to God and caring for these traveling teachers. Now you've got to understand, it's a little bit different than the way we do it right now. So like if we've got a guest speaker comes here, you know, we'll give him something for speaking, and we'll take him out for lunch. Okay? That is not the way it was back then. How would you like to do this? The traveling speaker would show up, and he wouldn't just be there for a day. He might be there for six months. And you would invite him to come home with you. And he would live with you for six months. And you would take care of his needs for six months. How many of you would love that? How many of you are just like, my goodness, thank goodness we live where we are right now, and it's the culture we live in right now, you know what I'm saying? That's the way it was back then. It was The issue in this letter we're going to see here is hospitality. That's the issue here. Gaius is giving hospitality. He's caring for these leaders who are coming through. And, in fact, here's what he's doing. Gaius was to provide, in fact, the apostle tells him, yeah, it's good that you're doing this because this is what you're supposed to do. So the expectation was is that you had to do this. 
Gaius was to provide for the needs of these traveling teachers. So he was to provide the needs of these traveling teachers when they came. You say, is this the only letter that talks about that? No. Remember the Apostle Paul talked about this, that it was an expectation to care for your pastors and your teachers in the church, make sure that they're taken care of. Now, he himself didn't do it. The Apostle Paul will tell you, I didn't do it because I didn't want it to affect my ministry towards you, is what Paul said. But this was a common practice and an accepted behavior among the churches to care for the teachers. Okay? Now, why were they to do this? John tells him that these teachers serve the Lord without seeking help from the lost. Because here's what, the, when it says Gentiles here, it's referring to unsaved people. And what's going on his, here is, is Gaius is to provide for their needs, and he's even supposed to, listen to this, he's even not supposed to just take care of them while they're with him for maybe six months. When they're ready to go to another town or travel to another city, Gaius was supposed to give them not just a lunch for the road trip, okay? Gaius was supposed to help them out so they could get established somewhere else. That's commitment, isn't it? That, that, that's, that's the definition of hospitality here, okay? That's what, what they're talking about here. So these teachers, the reason why they would do it is because they're supposed to, to serve without going to lost people who they're supposed to be ministering to and asking something from the lost. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? So that their, their message would not be disqualified as, oh, you're only doing this so you can get something from me. Okay? Which is what the Apostle Paul said, why he did that. So he goes on in verse 8, and he gives them a command here. We are to help them so that we can be a part of their ministries. Now, this aspect of it has carried over through the centuries. So, okay, when we have traveling missionaries come, the whole basis of mission support is right out of this verse. So that we can have a part in what they're doing. Do you you understand what I'm saying? So that we, in the support that we show them, can have a part in their ministry. Do you understand what I'm saying? We're not just giving them money for the sake of giving them money because we think, hell, you may have got a good cause going on there. We're going to help you out. It, it's really an investment from us as a church or individuals. I, let me stop for a moment. How many of you realize that 80% of mission support for a missionary does not come from a church? How many of you realize that? Do you realize that? Now, it used to be, used to think that, every, that churches were the main support for a missionary. Do you realize now that for 80%, even more than that for some people, it comes from individuals? So, like, for instance, I was at Word of Life. I was talking to a young couple who were going to be missionaries with Word of Life, and I asked them a question. I said, how many churches are supporting you? They told me they were at 62% of their support level already. I said, how many churches are supporting you? Here's what he said. Two churches my home church, and her home church. The rest of their support is coming from individuals. Individuals. That's the way it is today. Okay? Why do we do that? So that you and I can have a personal investment in what they're doing. Do you understand what I'm saying? We support because we can't go. We, we, they're going for us. 
Okay? So that's what he's saying. We're, we're to help them so that we can be a part of their ministries. Now we get to verse 9 and 10, and he's going to complain a moment. John's going to complain. He's going to issue a complaint against a guy by the name of Diotrephes. If you notice, nobody today is called Diotrephes. Have you noticed that? Because he's not a good guy, and we're going to see why here in a moment. First of all, John's going to make the point. Everything he says here is negative. Everything he's saying from this point on is a negative statement about what he's doing. And so when he's talking about this, he's talking about it negatively. What do you mean? Diotrephes look to be preeminent in the church. In fact, John uses the word he loved to be preeminent among you. Okay? Diotrephes, you, know, you say, well, doesn't it, doesn't it, uh, doesn't it say like, uh, you know, Paul says, he who seeks the office, office of bishop, isn't that a good thing? Yeah, it's a good thing, but here's the problem. This guy's main motivation was to be the head dude in the church and to run things. And we're going to see here, it's not just, this negative thing, we're going to see some other negative things that he's doing here. Okay? We're going to see some other negative things that he's doing here. And it speaks very clearly about why this is wrong and needs to be dealt with. So, for instance, verse 9, here's his actions. Here's what he's doing. He suppressed a letter from the apostle. John says, I wrote to you, but Diotrephes... Who, who loves to be preeminent among you, did not receive us. So John's saying, here's the apostle. Hey, if, if the apostle was living today and he wrote a letter to Kermansville Christian Church, do you think you'd want to know that? Do you think you'd want to hear what the apostles got to say to our church, right? Now here's what Diotrephes did. He, on his own, decided, I'm not showing it to him. Do you know what I'm saying? That, I mean, he, it's like, it's a power thing going on here. I'm in control here. I'm in control of what they can know, okay, and what they can hear from whoever, all right? So he doesn't allow it to happen. He suppresses the letter from the apostle, okay? You know, I mean, we're not talking, you know, like, you know, here at the church, most of the mail we get here at the church is junk mail, Okay? So, like, you guys would not be interested, oh, George got a letter about a new sermon series. You, you really couldn't care less. But if you got a letter from the apostle, you'd want to know that. Okay? So this guy suppresses the letter. Here's what else. He slandered the apostle. He didn't just suppress the letter. He's, he's prating words is what my uh, translation says here. He, he's using, he slanders the apostle. He's bad-mouthing him. Why is he doing that? It's all part of you tear down who you don't like so that you look better. Do you understand what I'm saying? You know, have you ever noticed how we do that? You rip apart who it is you got a problem with so you look better. Alright? That's what's going on here. He's slandering the apostle. Here's what else he does. He even went so far, because he's a control freak, he forbid helping the traveling teachers and excommunicated those... Who did? So let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. So let's say, let's say I'm Diotrephes. We are not going to help these teachers anymore. You are forbidden. That's the way it is going to be at church. Brad 
traveling teacher comes around and says, hey, come in my place. And he takes care of them, he feeds them. And, he, and, and he, he knows because he remembers the apostle saying that we need to do that. Me, Diotrephes, what are you doing? I'm taking care of these people. You're out of here. You know what I'm saying? He disciplines them out of the church. He excommunicates them. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's a guy who takes matters into his own hands. This is the extreme that we see here. Let me just stop for a moment. Church discipline, let me just to make this note to you. Scripture teaches church discipline is not ever to be left in the hands of one individual. Do you understand me? I've, I've seen it, some of you have seen it, where we've seen pastors do that on their own. It's an abuse. Church discipline in a church, when it comes to removing somebody from the membership, must always be done Plurally. Do you understand what I'm saying? As a group recognizing and dealing with the issue. Never by one individual. This guy was doing it. And it's and the only time that it's talked about being done individually, it's always a negative, isn't it? It's a negative thing here. He's not doing right. All right? He's not doing right. So let's go on. What else is he doing here? Here's the here's what John says. Now, you've got to appreciate what he's saying here. Let's go back to the text. He says it actually at the beginning of verse 10. Therefore, if I come, and, he's, and he says later he's going to come, he says, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does. What's he saying here? The apostle will personally deal with diatrophies. Now, you and I would be thinking, okay, so what's this old guy going to do? Come in and say, stop it. You need to quit doing that. It's a little bit different than that. What do you mean? Well, remember now, the apostles, there are no more apostles today. You notice that? I know there are some guys who claim to be apostles today. They're not. The office of apostle ended with this guy. All right? When you look in the scripture, there are times when the apostles deal with people, and it's kind of like, remember when they're on the island of Crete, and they're, they're, they're share, Paul's sharing, Paul and Barnabas are sharing with, with the, uh, I guess it was a Gaius as well, uh, uh, the guy who's the Roman leader there, and there's a, Jewish, there's a Jewish exorcist or sorcerer type dude who's trying to convince them to stop, don't listen to him or whatever, and Paul rebukes him and says, you're going to be blind. You're blind. And immediately the guy becomes blind. You remember when Peter is, is up with the Samaritans, and there's a guy there by the name uh, there's, a, there's another one of these Jewish sorcerer dudes, whatever, and first, at first he, he comes and wants, you know, he says he wants to be saved, and then he wants to pay Peter and John to figure out how to get the Holy Spirit, because he's looking at it as another thing to his gig or whatever, and, and Peter immediately, what, rebukes him and tells him, you're blind, dude! This is what the apostles can do. So when you think about the apostles showing up, do you think he could get control again in the church? And he's saying, I'm going to come and personally deal with this guy. Think of another one, Ananias, Sapphira. Show up to give, give a gift. Peter says, is that 
Is that all you had? Is that everything you were... Oh yeah, this is everything. They lied. Dropped dead. Do you think that would freak us out? You know, I, be, you having a problem? You're blind. Come back on Friday. We'll talk again. Do you know what I mean? I mean, that would get our attention. So this is serious matter. The apostle says, I'm going to deal with him personally. When I come, I'm going to deal with him. Okay? I'm going to deal with him. So everything he's doing, this is a guy, what we have here, can I be honest with you, is the example of an autocratic dictatorial leader. Okay? I've, I've experienced that. You've experienced that. And what do we see here? Right here in this letter, that type of behavior, is it right or wrong? I can't hear you. Yeah, it's wrong. Do you understand what I'm saying? And the apostle is saying it's wrong. Okay? The apostle is saying it's wrong. So then he goes on in verse 11 and 12, and he wants to get back to a positive example. And so again, he's going to talk about a guy by the name of Demetrius. Demetrius. So, first thing he tells us to do is to imitate what is good because it reveals our standing with God. Imitate what is good because it reveals our standing with God. So, let's stop for a moment. It's interesting because everything is done in context. There's always a context to what it is. He just got through talking about this guy named Diotrephes, that he's personally going to come deal with him and that he's doing wrong and he lists what he's doing wrong. Then he tells, as an encouragement to Gaius, you do what is right. Why? Why is he telling him that? Because he's saying, don't do what this guy's doing. Because that what he's doing shows where he's at. Do you understand what I'm saying? Shows where he's at. You do what's right. You do what's good. Because it reveals your standing with God. He goes on and he says, as an example, Demetrius, verse 12. He had a good testimony which even the apostle bore witness to. So here's a guy that the apostle even knew and bears witness to to Gaius about his character. That's awesome, isn't it? To have the apostle say, oh yeah, he's a good guy. Yeah, I heard about him. Yeah, he's a great guy. He walks with the Lord. He loves the Lord. So he had a good testimony, which even the apostle bore witness to. Okay? Great testimony here. So then he gives a conclusion here. And so this, we're back to just the normal formalities here. Number one, he did the same thing in the letter to the church in, in 2 John. He's doing that here. He says he wishes to tell them more. He wishes to tell Gaius more. But he wants to do so in person. So he says, hey, you know, I... I could write down more stuff, but I wish to tell you face to face. So then he does this. And the last part of verse 14, he says, John brings greetings from others as he greets those with Gaius. So you say it's a personal letter. How did it end up here in our New Testament? Well, just like with Philemon... Philemon and Gaius must have been smart enough to know that the letter, while it was written to them, the truths of it was meant for everyone. In fact, isn't that how he ends this letter? Greet those who are with you. Those who are with me, say hi. He greets those who are with them. 